I'm a passionate region woman because I believe that your geography is not an obstacle to your success. I'm a passionate regional woman because to me, regional WA is real and raw. My work gives me the opportunity to travel all over this incredible state and to meet the most amazing people for which I'm incredibly grateful. It's all those personalities that make up our diverse communities. It's the people that make here a vibrant place to live. I believe regional communities cannot achieve economic prosperity without talented regional women living in rural Australia. It's what makes regional WA the best place to live and love. And that's why I'm a passionate regional woman. Triple R Network podcast series by Generation Ag. We're your hosts, Kayla Evans and Lavinia Ware. Finny, it's our last one. What the heck? Can you believe it? I know. I'm really upset. <laughs> I'm so sad that this is the end of this. I mean, but it's not the end no. because uh, really excitingly, I've started working with Triple R, helping them with their digital marketing and a few other things. So, I think this is kind of probably just the beginning of stuff that we're going to be getting involved with and there's a few other things that we're going to be doing with Triple R too. So it is the end, but I think it's the beginning of a new, it's the end or the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning. I don't know. I'm, I'm going on a tangent. But I think this has been such a beautiful door to open with the Triple R network and we have met so many amazing, phenomenal people from doing this and we know that it's so much more exciting stuff to come. I know. The thing I'm sad about is that this has kind of forced us to have a fortnightly catch up. Like you and I have just been online for what, 45 minutes talking before we jumped on. And this um, this intro section forces us to catch up once in a while. <laughs> yeah, I think this time of year, I mean, I was talking to Kendall, the CEO as well. We were just uh, speaking about how busy a time this is with harvest, um, hay cutting, people who are mustering in the ag industry, but people who are um, wrapping up their business for the year people who are you know everyone's got their appointments Mm. if if you're in the beauty industry your appointments are coming up like Mm. it doesn't matter what industry if you own a product business you're shipping way more stuff it is unbelievably insane now and everyone is just on another level because this year with COVID not everyone's got the chance to go away have any rest it's been a lot of craziness it sure has and like I was just thinking um because my colleagues at work were talking about, you know, um, if you've got kids in high school, you know, the school year is just about over. Kids are going to leavers in like a week and a half. This is crazy. So I know so many uh, of the women who are in that Triple R network um, membership base and in that demographic will be dealing with the same thing at the moment, which is end of school and having the kids come home for the end of the year. Yes, it's definitely a big time. And then holidays as well, not being – I mean, obviously we were just talking about they have um, – 
reduced the restriction on the borders mm. now, but it's still, you know, there's still a few things to figure out and it's, you know, it's not as easy to get on a plane and go over east still and mm. see your family and come to WA. So it's working all of that out and not being able to travel as easily and everything being booked out. It's it's crazy times. Yeah. Uh, I know you're not a big fan of Christmas, but I'm resisting the urge, something shocking to like put up my Christmas tree right now. I just feel like after the year that 2020 has been, like we deserve to have a really long Christmas period and just start celebrating immediately. So my concession to myself has been just putting up one tiny string of Christmas lights out in my back patio area. So, but it won't be long. My husband's telling me, just wait, just wait. Like Christmas will be here soon enough, but I can't, I can't wait. I'm so excited. When I say I hate Christmas, it's just that there's a lot around the consumerism that I just don't like, but I love having a little bit of time to chill out and I love just being able to see a people that I don't normally see and this year is exciting because um you know because people can't go overseas I have a heap of friends coming to visit to Esperance over the new year and afterwards and that's just so nice that people are taking the time to come and visit because you don't a lot of my friends who are a lot of people who are not in the triple R space it's a long way for them to come and travel so yeah. it is going to be a nice Christmas it will be I think it'll be really beautiful and we were just talking before for so, us we're so excited because if things keep going the way that they're going we'll both have our mums here for Christmas and it's been how long's it been since we've seen our mums like 10 months 11 months 10 10 11 months yeah both of us pretty much exact same time in January so to have our mums back yeah uh, will be really nice. So excited. Yeah. It's definitely something, yes, we're way too excited. It's <laughs> it's definitely a bit surreal though to think about. I'm not getting my hopes up I yet know. until, um, honestly, until they're on the plane, <laughs> life be like, yep, it's actually happening. I know, I know what you mean. I, I had to, because when, when the announcement came out about the conditional border opening, um, I sent it to mum and I was like, but we're not getting excited. No one's getting excited until they get on a plane because there's so many things that could go mm-hmm. wrong between now mm-hmm. and then. But even just the thought of celebrating Christmas with family, I know so many people in WA um, with family interstate like you and me have just struggled through this year because we haven't been able to, you know, be there for birthdays or weddings or, you know, deaths in the family or just to give our mums a bloody hug because that's sometimes all you need when the year's been so hectic and so, oh my gosh, this Christmas is going to feel like 10 Christmases, I I think. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So for those listening that might not have listened before, this is one of our special episodes with the Triple R Network. The Triple R Network is a place where Triple R women can belong, meet like-minded women, develop ideas, connections and become leaders in their communities. So the Triple R stands for Rural, Regional and Remote Women and it's about having the voice on the ground for issues that are impacting women in these regions. Mm. And... um if, you, if this is your first, fabulous, but it's also our last one with the Triple R Network. Um, well, hopefully for now, but definitely in this series. Uh, so you've got 12 episodes to go and listen to. Um, but we're excited about today's guest and we'll get into that in a second. But um, we thought as a culmination of the Triple R Network series that we've done here at Generation Ag, we've got a very special group of people to um, celebrate as our Women of the Week, don't we, Vin? Yes, we do. We want to put a shout out to 
all of the Triple R women, as far as Kanonara in the north, all the way to Esperance in the south, from the wheat belt to the Pilbara to the Gascoigne to the southwest to the Goldfields to the Kimberley, Perth, and everywhere in between. You are the Triple R women. You are the women that are influencing what happens with the next generation of the Triple R women. And we are so grateful for you, all of the relationships that you guys build with each other. And it's just phenomenal to be a part of this network. Yeah, it's so incredible. We just went to the Triple R Network um, uh, Rural Women's Day event a couple of weeks ago and just the energy in that room is unlike anything else. You know, women from far and wide, so many of whom have no idea, had never met each other before. Um, The room was packed and it was beautiful just to sort of be a part of the energy and meet and chat to women who are all experiencing similar things, living in a similar sort of um, circumstance and, and just contributing to their communities in their own way. And so we just salute each and every one of you um, who are part of the Triple R network, but also oh, any woman who is just from a regional, rural, or remote area as well. So hats off to all of you. Absolutely. And to introduce this amazing guest, we thought that the last episode we would do an episode with Kendall, who is the CEO of the Triple R network. Mm-hmm. Kendall's amazing, and she's only been in this position for a few months, but she's done a lot of work with the Triple R network in the policy sector for a while now. And her story is really unique, and what she's bringing to the table in terms of her knowledge and understanding. She's such a force to be reckoned with, and she's someone who's so inspirational, and I really look up to. And it's it was really good to chat. And this episode's definitely a little bit different to any Generation Ag episode. It's not as agricultural focused, but it's very rural, regional and remote women focused. And there are a lot of issues that we chat about that are so relevant in uh, living in Triple I network space. And yeah, it was really, really great. Well, I'm excited that we you got to chat to her, Vin, because I think so many um, times, you know, we can, we can celebrate the organisation itself, but we forget to celebrate the beautiful women who run it or who are boots on the ground making things happen. And so I'm excited that we get to hear from Kendall today and um, yeah and share her story of how she came to be the CEO of uh, the Triple R Network. Absolutely and I'll introduce her to you guys now. So Kendall comes from an international and political research background from Curtin, Edith Cowan and Charles Stewart University. With over 10 years of experience, Kendall has published articles with the Australian Institute of International Affairs. These days, her writing and research focuses on gender equality within Australian context for the Triple R Network. Kendall was a senior organiser for, for a political party where her efforts focused on political empowerment for Western Australia women and membership driving. Kendall lives in the southwest with her husband and her two young boys. Kendall is the CEO of Triple R Network and we were able to have a great chat during this 45-minute session about how she got to where she is today and it's very inspirational for myself and a lot of young people, especially knowing that there are executive opportunities in the Triple R areas. So this is a great one. I hope you really enjoy it and let's get into the episode. So 
So, Kendall, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm very excited for this interview. I'd love to just jump straight into it and get you to tell me a little bit about your child and upbringing. Yeah, well, thanks firstly for asking me to participate in this. I feel very honoured um, and a little bit nervous, to be honest. However, yeah, it's, um, it's great to share my story as a regional woman. Um, I grew up in Boyup Brook. I, anytime someone asks me that question, I always say, you know, it's just 30 minutes from Bridgetown because I don't think anyone knows where Boyup Brook is. It's in that inner southwest area, um, Donnybrook, Collie, yeah, in there. Um, and, yeah, so I grew up there, had an amazing childhood. Um, town probably had 500 or so people in it. And, yeah, it was summers spent at the Boatbrook Swimming Pool. It was the annual Country Music Awards event with Harvey Dixon on the, um, the footy oval. Um, yeah, and spent there till 15 to do finish year 10 at high school and then and then left there dad was a truck driver mm-hmm. um so we weren't in in farming we were um we were townies and yes yeah, so I always went out the back and the truck would be there and might be hay bales on the back and I would climb up the top and well there'd be sheep manure to smell or I would go on trips with my dad as a as a little girl I guess that was um child care back in the day and um, mum was an accountant. Yeah, it must have been really interesting back then when it was small town living and it's kind of all around ag, but you're not directly involved in ag. But I guess it's sort of full circle moment now because you're working back in regional and living regionally again. So, and you're not yeah. far away from where you grew up. Yeah, no, it's good. It's it's good to go back to um, back home. So, mum and dad still have the same house that I grew up in. So although they just sold it last week. So, oh, no. yeah, 37 Nostalgia. years, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's on its way. Yeah, so um, make sure this summer I'll be back in Boatbrook to make the most of it, take my kids back to the, the Boatbrook swimming pool because we just love it. It's the best pool ever. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't in the farming space, but yeah, was connected to it one way or the other. And dad was also a wool classer as he stepped out of truck driving. So yeah, it was, um, it was good like that. I, I enjoyed being a townie. And did you go to high school down there as well? Yeah. So I went to the Boatbrook District High until I was 15. And then after that, you either went to Manjimup or I went to Perth and went to boarding school. So yeah, which a lot of the uh, girls did in my my class so we went up to um Iona or Santa Maria I went to Santa Maria and yeah did boarding school for two years after that yeah and I guess that led into you wanting to go to university and study yes yeah um although the degree that I picked at the beginning um after finishing year 12 was probably not the right decision at the time Mm -hmm. so I chose to do a bachelor of arts at UWA and I knew, you know, a couple of years after that I should have gone to Curtin and done a marketing communications degree. Yeah. Although there was, <laughs> I t- there was something that was just drawing to me to UWA. It was like, oh, I got into UWA. I'm so excited. How fancy mm-hmm. is this place? Mm-hmm. What can I do there? Well, I'm not into science, not into engineering. I'm not into maths. I'm not going to go into nursing. So I just picked a Bachelor of Arts. Yeah. Um, a Bachelor of Arts. Yeah, look, it's at the time it just wasn't great for me because 
there was no outcome that I could see for a career. Yeah. You know, you spend your days doing creative writing or anthropology or philosophy and then you're thinking, how am I going to get a job out of this? <laughs> so I, I left. <laughs> I deferred. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to know, did they at school sort of lead you in the pathway to want to go and study at university at UWA? Because that was definitely the same for me and it's interesting we're probably you know te- a little bit over 10 years apart in leaving school and yet the patterns still haven't changed in the way that they're sort of telling us yeah. to go to the same university even though the career outcomes at different places are just as good if not better yeah yeah look I I think you know at the time I was dealing with my older sister who was like the smartest woman I know, she was like the ducks in um, San Maria and she was an engineer and she went to UWA and and I was not that. I was the art student. I was different to my sister. And then I knew that there was a certain score that you had to get to get into UWA. Yeah. And when I got that, I was like, look, mum, look, dad, I can do just like my sister. How cool mm-hmm. am I? Um, and I guess I there was a value with a higher you know, score, you know, like you looked at and went, well, there's increased value going to UWA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was the wrong decision for me at the time. But, mm-hmm. you know, I went with it and and now, though, I can look back on on the degree, the part degree that I did at UWA with a lot of value. And I can yeah. talk about that a bit later. But, yeah, it is interesting that there is that pathway still exists. Yeah, definitely. And so can you actually talk about what you did study and that you finished because it's really quite interesting <laughs> uh the recent stuff that you've done yeah yeah so like I said I I deferred out of um Bachelor of Arts in Perth I end up getting a job just quickly I add this this context I got a job as an executive assistant in real estate and this is where I really refined my I guess my management, my leadership, my administration skills, and I loved it. And I was really, really good at it. And I was working with someone and we got to number three in the state. And then I was like, uni was, you know, not even thinking about uni anymore. That was done and dusted. Um, And I was working in Perth and then I got burnt out. I worked two years solid, weekends, and then thought, nah, this isn't for me. I need to get back down to the country. Mm -hmm. So I moved back down the country did similar work in real estate, but then decided, you know, I had this niggling feeling about, you know, my university degree that it was unfinished business. So Mm -hmm. I thought, all right, I've got to go back, but I don't want to go back to a Bachelor of Arts. And I couldn't go back to UWA because UWA didn't offer long distance education. Mm. So I was forced to transfer. Um, So I started exploring what degrees could I do that I could get credits that I could move over that would tick my boxes and I found this new degree called international relations and it only been around for a couple of years at that point um I had done some traveling you know in my early 20s and and I just loved the idea of something bigger than me you know be involved in something that was influential that was great that was uh that impacted a lot of people so I guess and I wasn't that's all it was I wasn't sure exactly what um attracted to me to the degree other than that and I knew that at the time there was no way I was going to get a a job in Margaret River 
working in international relations, whatever that would be. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess at the beginning I thought, well, I'll leave Margaret River. I'll, I'll follow this job wherever it goes and but I'll just start with this and see where it goes. And I guess maybe that I thought if I did the international relations degree that surely something big would come back. Don't know what, but maybe an opportunity would, I don't know, who knows. So I, I just started going for it and I just loved it. So I started out when I was 26 and then um, I was engaged that year, then got married, pregnant with my first um, child and was doing a counter-terrorism unit. Um, and it was so weird. Heavy stuff. Yeah, I was trying to pick baby names whilst reading books about bombings and <laughs> it was just my head was a mess, absolute mess. And I I called my lecturer who is Anne Alling, who's now a federal MP, mm-hmm. and I said, Anne, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm having my first baby and I just can't seem to read stuff about terrorism. It's just not working. Um, she said, that's all right, that's all right, just defer. And so I deferred and then, you know, had had Will in October and got back into uni in Feb and, and I never got to do the counterterrorism unit again, but I then got to do other units that went into counterterrorism and I kept going that way. Mm-hmm. And I really, for whatever reason, really enjoyed that work. It was, I guess, again, it was bigger than Ben-Hur type of stuff and mm. it was so strange and so um yeah the regional woman in margaret river researching counterterrorism just felt really exciting mm. and i would yeah tell people about it and they would look at me and go what what are you doing i mean i don't know i'm just i'm doing this and so i finished the international relations degree and had almost created a pathway to focus on counterterrorism or countering violent extremism and there got a, an internship with Anne Alley with a research unit she had at Curtin. And everyone in that research group was in postgrad, masters and counterterrorism. Mm. So I then stepped into to do that um, at Charles Sturt Uni. Um, so there spent two years doing postgrad in, in security studies. So fascinating. Because it's such a unique, like you just don't talk to anyone who's even considered studying that or the actual outcome of studying that and the different jobs. And the fact that you are all able to do this in regional Western Australia is pretty phenomenal as well. Yeah. yeah. Look, I at the time, it whilst I was excited, I felt like a bit of a fool. You know, I would talk to people about it and then they would raise an eyebrow straight away and go, why? Um, Why are you spending this money? Why are you spending your time doing this when you live in the southwestern of Western Australia? Um, And I I definitely did feel like I was in, when I was in the middle of it, I thought, oh, my God, I've dug a hole so deep here. I don't know how to get out. Mm. Like. Either I stop and I've just waste everything that I've done or I keep going and see what happens. And it was mm. it was really difficult. Um, and thank goodness that I kept going because it did create this really interesting and unique career pathway for myself. Yeah. And I learned so much and I met so many interesting people that I would not have met if I had 
not taken this on. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, it was exciting, and I'm not working in in that space. So it's funny. I've gone from doing a postgrad in security studies to now working in gender equality. So, but I guess a lot of though they're, they're very different. But I guess there'd be definitely similar things you would have touched on that sort of you can relate to what you're doing now. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I guess that um, the pathway went from security studies to politics, and then politics yeah. into women. Yeah. Um, so when you say it like that, it it it, it was it's quite natural the, the progression, but. The fact that the opportunity came to me was such an unbelievable for me to realise that I got to that space um, the way I did. So It's like yeah. you said in the beginning, I guess, when you started doing international relations, you're like, you know, I'll just do it and see what opportunities arise and a yep. lot has. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So no regrets and that's why I say the Bachelor of Arts degree, I think, you know, what you gain from a Bachelor Arts degree is that transferable skill. Mm. Like you don't realise when you're doing creative writing or you're doing philosophy or anthropology, all these things that you're learning um, help to create a, a mindset of being open-minded, of um, strategizing, of problem-solving, of taking into consideration other people's perspectives, all those things you gain from that degree and I think those are the types of skills that I have um that have led me to where I am so yeah absolutely yeah definitely when we're doing work together there's things that you can definitely tell you've just got this higher understanding of and that overall for your job now is going to help so much I think Mm, I think so well I hope so (laughs) I definitely think. I'd love to chat a little bit about your time at the Labor Party because you do mention this a little bit and I think a lot of people perhaps want to go and work in politics but it's it can be a little bit taboo and they're not sure how to get into it. So can you talk to me a little bit about your experience at the Labor Party? Yeah, so that was without a doubt the, the best experience of my career, My I guess my very new career. Um, so when I was working for Anne Alley for the Countering Violent Extremism Research Unit, um, I was doing, I'll quickly just tell you about the piece I did with Anne. So when in my first year of working there, Anne was writing a book and she said, I need you to do research on de-radicalisation programs across Southeast Asia in the prison environment and the community environment. Wow, big, so, big topics. <laughs> so I spent like six months working on that. Um, and then, and unfortunately, the publisher, you know, they didn't take on the book and then Anne stepped into federal politics. So I was in this research unit. I'd just done six months of work and Anne left and went into politics and I was stuck going, what am I going to do now in the research unit? Because you had a bit of autonomy about what you could do. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, it was the Trump was going into um, was campaigning against Hillary Clinton and it was such a big focus on US um, politics when, and I was just absolutely drawn to that. And I was really interested about um, the way youth were engaging with politics because my experience in the regions, I'm not sure what your experience is like when it comes to politics, it's really taboo. Like there's not yeah. a lot of 
talk about it. You keep it kind of hush-hush about. Yeah, and people, I think people are getting better now. I think there's even a lot of difference, like even though we're not different, that different in age groups, I think there's even between your age group and my age group, difference in how people talk about it and how open they are. But still, I'd say, I think because of social media, we're getting a little bit more savvy with researching for ourselves. But yeah, a lot of people will still vote exactly how their parents vote and don't think twice about it. And that's, and I'll get to that quickly soon. Sorry, I'm taking my time with this story. Um, So I then really was drawn to the idea that young people were getting to politics because that was not my experience politics was for the older people mm-hmm. and we just went in and on polling day we just ticked a box and we yeah. ticked the box that was generally what our family did yeah and that's what we've grown up with mm-hmm. and I was just like wow I can't believe people are standing on the street for days on end in the US mm. I just didn't get it so I decided to um pitch a research project about Australian youth perspectives particularly from the regions about um politics and I was successful in that research grant. So I started to work in politics on the Australian context. And then I realised I have a really poor understanding of grassroots politics in Western Australia or even in my region. Mm. So I thought I'll join a political party. I'll do this branch meeting stuff and whatever that is. And because my parents had always um, voted Labor, it was the natural step for me. I went, okay, well, I'll go to the Labor branch and become a member. Mm. And, you know, I was the youngest person by like 30 years. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you quickly grabbed onto and said, oh, can you be the secretary? Can you do this? Can you do that? Yeah. And so my introduction to um, WA Labor and the branch just went from zero to 100 in like two weeks. It was like, okay, you're in, we're going to hold on to you. And, and it was a great experience um, and it was really abnormal for me to be sitting around with people talking about issues of politics um, mm. and I really respected it. Um, I then got offered, it got circulated that there was a job going because they were creating a Labor Women's Organiser for party office in Perth for Labor. And it was a part-time job and I thought, yeah, I might give this a go. This is really interesting. So, yeah, I applied. I was the only regional woman that applied. Um, they were expecting to have someone in head office in Perth, um, but I put a really compelling case forward that it doesn't need to be a Perth woman. It can be a regional woman and, mm. you know, you're not trying to get members, women members just from Perth, you're trying to get them across the state. So Absolutely. Yeah, so... Then stepped into WA Labor and that was the most exciting experience. It was incredible. Met, um, you know, politicians, met um, key players in the in the politics space, got to have dinner with Julia Gillard, you know, <laughs> um, incredible, incredible time. And I had a, a manager, Ellie Whitaker, who was, just so passionate about engaging women in politics and she was such a great mentor for me. Mm. Sounds like a fascinating experience and I think as well now moving into your role, I will talk a little bit about your role at the Triple R Network. But 
I think a lot of those connections are so important and no matter where you go in your career, it's such a good step to have those networks to be able to pull on in the space you're in because there's so much power there in terms of how you can create awareness around issues, which is really what the Triple R Network is about. Yeah, that it definitely was almost like um, the best training I could get for then stepping into the Triple R Network. Um, mm. So I stepped into WA Labor with a really uh, non-political lens, which um, was a disadvantage to me but also such a great advantage because I was able to say, if you want to get more women into politics, this is what I think you need to do because I'm a woman that was not into politics. So you've got to step out of the echo chamber of just having the same message to the people that are going to respond. How are you going to get women outside? Mm-hmm. Um then when I was in that space, I learned so much around policy building, making strategy, um, the do's and don'ts and how to get women in and, and yeah, meeting such, so many influential people um, who you know do make those key decisions. Um, so it was the best training to then step into the Triple R network. Um, and, look, the politics I felt was was very limiting in engaging women. Yeah. So then I have to step into the Triple R network where I'm not hamstrung by politics. I can be absolutely, you know, apolitical. It mm. is so so exciting, so much potential. I love I love what I do at the Triple R network. Mm. So how did the Triple R network uh, opportunity come about? I know you did work with them and have a tie to them before you started as CEO. So can you talk a little bit about that and then how it came about that you became the CEO? Yeah. So whilst I was working part-time for WA Labor, I had met um, Jackie Jarvis. So Jackie and I both live in Margaret River and we met each other through my politics. Um, and it was just so great to to network with a regional woman in my own area who was dealing in the same type of circles that I was. Um, mm-hmm. And that was the point of us meeting up. We found out who each other were and said, okay, let's have a coffee and meet each other. Um, and then Jackie told me all about the Triple R Network. And I was just, you know, didn't really know anything about it. I would had seen the magazine over the years, but, you know, it was very... Um, Ag focused. Yeah, it was ag focused. Yeah. It wasn't my experience. Um, so, yeah, I started hanging out with Jackie for a bit, and, and then I was getting the kids were getting a bit older, and I thought I need to increase my day's work. I could do something else. Mm-hmm. So I went to Jackie and said, Do you have any work in the research policy space? I'd love to be able to, you know, help women and do that. And she says, Absolutely. So, um, I stepped in just when she was about to roll out the, the sexual harassment um, national inquiry research. Mm-hmm. So I stepped in and managed that research and that project. Um, and that was where I was completely sold on the Triple R Network and its value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Incredible opportunity. And, again, my learning just went tenfold again, more mm-hmm. than my labour. It was really, really amazing time. And, yeah, then it just went on from there. So I then went into the Women's Voices Research Report, got to go across the regions and meet with women. And, yeah, so I worked very closely with Jackie and Jackie was my 
my mentor, absolutely. I would, we would discuss Triple R issues daily. It would be, yeah, so exciting to learn from Jackie because she's such a funny woman. So, Mm, yeah. So out there and so giving. So she's, yeah, Yeah, she's amazing for women in this space. Yeah. So if it wasn't for her, I don't think I would have had this opportunity that I had been afforded so yeah and then um uh the triple r network was looking for a new ceo and at that time i wasn't ready and so and i don't think that the triple r network probably thought i was ready either but i didn't apply there was um there was no um um opportunity like that at the time and they decided to um change the direction of the network and have a head office in Perth, which is what we hadn't had before. And having a head office in Perth meant that we needed uh, a Metro woman who was connected to the regions um, who could really drive that Perth market. Mm. So Megan stepped in and I think that was such uh, probably, even though Megan was only there for eight months, it was probably a really key time for the network to engage that metro corporate market Mm. I think what Megan did was was outstanding for the organization Mm. Um, and Megan was only part-time so Megan had her own business and was deciding to to leave the network and um, go back to that and so the triple r network decided to uh, advertise for a new ceo and I did think that that was coming so I spent good two, three months preparing for that opportunity if it came up. Yeah. And so I um, I went for it and I threw everything into it. I was building a business case for like three months ahead. <laughs> I lived and breathed triple R network to my friends and family. Um, yeah. So got to, got to interview with three other women and yeah, was fortunate to be, to be given the opportunity. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's such a pleasure to get to work with you because every time we get to chat, it, we you just there's so much vision and potential and possibility, and I can just tell that you are the right person to be at the forefront of driving this forward. And yeah, it's really special what you've got in the pipeline for the next year because you're going to do amazing things. And yeah, I feel so honored to work alongside you and learn from you. Oh. Thank you. You don't have to say that. No, it's true. Honestly, it's true. I think, um, you know, there are a lot of our podcasts particularly, um, not just your sessions with the Triple R special, but we have a lot of young people, younger than me listening, and to have people like yourself in the industry changing this and, you know, really focusing on things that are still relevant like gender equality and pushing forward for women, women's leadership in Triple R network it's really important that we continue to do it but we have people like you to keep following along and keeping the fight going because it can get it, it's sometimes tough there's I mean there was an article in the west this week that you know was a bit upsetting in politics and um yeah it's it's a long battle so it it's is, great it is and look I you know when you're younger you kind of you you're not really aware of the the inequalities around you it's um as you get older and you start working that you really notice them. Um, and I think for me, the layer of being a regional woman has only become really, you know, evident of its disadvantages since working in the triple R network. Like mm. I, 
you know, day to day, you know, like living in the regions is the most rewarding thing. Like I love it. Mm. I absolutely love living in the regions and I love bringing out my children here and I wouldn't leave, just wouldn't. Um, and then you, you you get used to accepting the idea that opportunities are narrow mm. um, and that's the sacrifice that you've made. Yeah. Um, but through my own experience, and I've only just started to really, I guess, voice this, and this is why I'm, I'm really strong about this now and I really want to get the message out there that the regions do not have to be a barrier. Um, it's, it's only your own limitations that you put on yourself. If you want to go and get, go on a new career pathway, well, education is set up these days that you can do long-distance education. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have the money to pay for those uni fees, you can get student loans. And, mm-hmm. look, I'll be paying back student loans for the next <laughs> 10 years, um, you know, and you can do it. it. Look, it takes time, it takes sacrifice, it takes money, but, you know, you can create a diverse business or a diverse career um from the regions and I think you know we've all learned this year from the pandemic that really anything from home is possible yeah so absolutely yeah I am not sure how I got here now from what you said but (laughs) I just want to really reinforce that yeah for regional women um we can do anything and everything now so yeah my experience is that that's what I want to offer for triple R women. And yeah, so the potential is huge. Like working with you, it's, it's so evident that we can do so much. It's I know just- it's so exciting. It's just time and hours, but I know we've got an amazing group of women who are behind and supporting each step of the way, which is pretty amazing to have. I'd love for you to spoil what you have planned or a few little things for 2021 for anyone listening because yeah. I think there are a few things in the pipelines already yeah absolutely I yeah I sat down you know the last two months on and off just building this calendar for 2021 and I thought right we need to get serious about networking you know we mm-hmm. had the international day of rural women networking event um last month in Perth and it was such a huge success Mm, it was amazing women came out of that saying I just loved hanging around with like-minded women I felt so comfortable um to meet new women to share what I do it was such a safe environment and really I think networking is what we should be all about um Mm. yeah so next year I'd like to do some regional networking events Mm -hmm. I've earmarked places like Albany, um, Geraldton, Northern. Um, I'd like to work with um, some corporates across those areas um, with ECU, if possible, or Curtin. So doing some networking events in Bunbury and in Perth. Um, We also want to really um, create opportunities or improve understanding of our members about becoming a board member for the Triple R Network. Yeah. So next year we will have um, places available so the women who are members can nominate next year. So next year we want to do um, a program where you get to learn about the Triple R Network, about being a board member, learn about the vision, the strategy. Um, so that will also be a program. We'll also be um, doing closing up our mentoring program next year so there'll be a dinner next year for mentoring 
Um, yeah, there'll be some webinar series. Yeah, there's there's going to be so much going on next year. It is so exciting. Oh, and mental health first aid across the region. So we hope to reach yeah. 100 uh, people next year with mental health first aid. Mm, it's definitely going to be a busy one, but it's definitely exciting for the network. It is. It is. I just really want to focus on grassroots women on membership. I just think that, you know, being who we are, being the rural, regional and remote women's network, that we are to represent all women across WA, no matter what you're doing, if you're working at the local deli, the post office, working in ag, wherever it may be, that we are here for you, mm-hmm. that we connect you to other women. You can um, get opportunities for education, for professional development, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I really just want to focus on women next year, really, really create opportunities for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely going to be exciting. And in terms of the long-term hope for the network, what is it that are the long-term goals for the Triple R network? Yeah, look, it's, you know, it's been, it's quite a challenge for the Triple R network. You know, we, from 1996 to 2016, we were a reference group with state government. Um, and we had a magazine and that's what it was about. It was a we provided advice to the Minister of Regional Development, the Minister of Agriculture for that time period, and we created a magazine. It was then at that 2016 point where it was felt that the Triple R Network could um, achieve more if they were incorporated, that they were free of state government, which I think was a brilliant idea. Mm. Um, so the network was given um, funding through royalties for regions. Um, and the key um, outcome of that funding was for the organisation to become financially sustainable. And so now, look, we are, we're four years down and we are still trying to achieve sustainability. It is difficult. The not-for-profit sector, as anyone would know, is really complicated. It's, um, it's very competitive. It's hard to get um, investment. So, yeah, it's, it's a challenge for us as a network to, to find the magic formula. Um, and we're hoping that we can continue into the future. So for us, it is going to be relying on growing our membership um, and improving our corporate partnership so that we can have a future for years to come. Mm. I really want us to be around for the, for the younger women that are stepping in. Yes, we are a great resource and I do believe if we have a future without the Triple R Network, we will have a diminished regional women's voice perspective Mm. and possibly gender inequality will deepen in the region. So, Mm. yeah, I think it's vital that we're around. How How we achieve that is still a work in progress. Yeah, absolutely. Every every day at a time, one step at a time. Yeah. And for women listening, what is your best piece of advice? Huh. Um, let's see. Look, I, I can only talk from my experience. Um, I just think, like I said earlier, that don't look at the regions as a barrier to to trying new things that you think are only available to Metro women. Mm. That 
if you want to start up a business, if you want to change your career, that you do it and really, really value um, economic independence. So I think women look at education, look at what you can do, what training you can do, really create your own identity. And I think in the regions it's really, really important that you that you do that. Um, yeah. So I, I would say to women, you know, and I said this on at a panel I spoke on the other day, is continually throw your hat in the ring. I just want to quickly add, I was interviewing the Director General from DPERD the other week mm. and it was for our research project we're doing on leadership. And I spoke, you know, I've interviewed 20 women across WA in CEO positions and local government and we had five or so men on the list that we wanted to interview. They were kind of like our token men so we could balance out what women and men thought in leadership. Yeah. So interviewing the DG, Director General from DPERD, Ralph Addis, and I said to him, okay, can you tell me about your pathway to leadership? Was it complex? Was it dynamic? How did it happen? And he said, oh, I just applied. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, of course he did. Yeah. And, you know, when I've asked that question to all the other women, there was this story about how difficult it was, what they had to do and, and so on, so on. And look, I, you know, I could just say that Ralph maybe didn't give me all that detail, but I guess his point was really interesting. They did just apply. Yeah. And I think that more women need to apply, give things a go and yeah. be prepared that you might fail and you, you'll learn a lot from the experience of failure. But if you don't throw your hat in the ring, you'll never know. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, if you're not in the ra- race in the beginning, you can't win. Oh, yep. So we could we could go off with all those things, <laughs> can't we? Put your foot in the door, throw your hat in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> all but it is so true. There's, I think there's a lot of self-doubt and I think a lot of people think that they're not good enough or especially when applying for a job or going to that next level, they might see all the credentials and feel overwhelmed. But a lot of the time you can never meet every single criterion that they're they're looking for or there's always going to be something that sets you apart from someone else and there are so many different life skills yeah. that go into being a leader. There's no way that if someone had told me 10 years ago when I started on this international relations degree pathway that I'd be a CEO in the regions. Like it's, you know, and there's no way I probably would have gone out and applied for a CEO position. But if you just keep giving things a go, you never know where you end up. Yeah. So it's, um, it's really interesting. I think, you know, the other thing that Ralph said to me, he said, oh, look, we've got a job coming up and, you know, I've had there's about 25 applicants. He said, you know, nearly 20 of them are all men. And more than likely the outcome will be that a man might get the job. It's just the way it's going to go. So I think that more women need to apply. We just need more women giving things a go and saying, doesn't matter if I tick all the boxes, I'm just going to give this one a go because my character or my personality might just turn out to be the right one for this job. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think there is still a lot of pressure. Um, I was talking to some women in agriculture the other day and some of them feel a little bit scared to share their opinions or be because they are scared that you know 
they'll they've already got a foot in the door and they're already one in five and they feel a bit threatened by the men in the industry so there's definitely still a long way to go oh there is and we need you know that confidence can only grow with increased numbers yeah and it is hard um it is very difficult but I think that maybe women need to to realize that men equally as women can say something that's incorrect yeah or misguided and everyone just moves on we all make mistakes we're all going to um you know geez when I was in politics I would um completely green I would talk to someone and then later say to someone else who is that and they go oh that was minister so-and-so and I went oh you're kidding me oh my god how did I not know that you know and I just would embarrass myself regularly but it was through all that learning that you become your better version of yourself. So yeah, I also think that it's for politicians and that it's quite humbling for them if you don't know who they are and those. And it's it's very triple R. You know, we are a little bit more casual in the country. So yeah, we we seem to throw that one around. Oh, don't worry about me. I'm just from the country. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good excuse. But we are still we're still up there and we can still compete. So I think what the Triple R network is doing and what you're doing in the in the works is really, really important work and it will be great to see it grow. I, I the thing that I've noticed um this year and I'm and you and I have talked about this previously is how I really think that whether it's Triple R network inspired or not, but the the gap between the metro and the regional woman is closing Mm. and I do think it's through education it is through improved digital connectivity it is through um our our young people from the country going up to the city and having jobs and coming back and forth but I really think that there's less of a divide yeah that closing that gap has been really um pivotal for triple r people in getting heard and increasing opportunity yeah definitely i think that that is really what it's about is that and i think as well something we probably haven't touched on that in wa it's on another level the sort of physical gap between where we're located like as in a lot of the other states it's not as far distance to travel to a near a big town or um, the main capital city. So I think we have faced a, a lot more of that. So it's been really good that we've got this accessibility now to be able to work regionally and be able to travel back and forth. And we do have a lot of opportunities, but sometimes unless you're, you know, you know about something, you don't know about it. So I think the Triple R Network, we're going to be able to learn and teach more people about the network and the bigger yeah. concept of what's actually available for women in agriculture and outside of agriculture regionally and you know there's so many opportunities it's just about connecting with the right people it is absolutely like relationships um you know if I hadn't met people like like Jackie you know it wouldn't have created this pathway for myself and I think sometimes just meeting those key individuals can mean absolutely everything into where you what projects you engage in or um, what jobs or, yeah, open up to you. Well, Kendall, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been a real honour to do the Triple R Network podcast and I've really enjoyed, and so has Kayla, all of the interviews that we have done with the Triple R Network through this series.
Thank you for listening to the Triple R Network podcast by Generation Ag. 